Hello, everybody, and welcome to Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups Israel Edition podcast series. I'm your host, Jonathan Hoffman, and today I'm joined by Ariel Beery, General Partner of Covelocity. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, for those of you listening at home, Ariel's an entrepreneur living in Tel Aviv who focuses on building companies that help solve problems for people. With over 15 years of experience as a CEO of two global companies, he's used his skills to improve the medical industry through technology innovations, and he's used his skills to teach others how to innovate and solve social issues themselves. So Ariel, while researching you, I learned that you grew up in a secular family, but you were connected to the Jewish people because you were connected to the state of Israel, that you got really into Judaism while serving in the Israeli army, and you went on to earn a bachelor's degree in economics and political science, which I'm doing right now, from Columbia University, before going on to NYU and earning degrees in nonprofit management and Judaic studies. Education aside, <laughs> I was wondering if you could share your brief story of how you got to where you are today, uh, sort of how and why you became an entrepreneur. Sure. Thank you so much for the invitation and the introduction. And yeah, I've always wrestled with the term entrepreneur because uh, the thing that interests me the most is building sustainable solutions to problems that face humanity. And in many ways, the kind of the common thread that I look through in, in, in my story that goes back into the story of my ancestors is more a concept that I like of pioneering, or in Hebrew, chalutziut. Uh, so my grandparents, who were born in the early 20th century in Eastern Europe, were part of a youth movement called the Young Guard, or Hashomer Atzeir, which is a socialist Zionist youth movement that developed during a period of great transition where the world was shifting in very unpredictable ways, where industrialization transformed economies, where new ideologies created a lot of human suffering, and where they as, as Jews, as, as members of the Hebrew people, were discriminated against, and eventually their families were herded into death camps. And, and mm -hmm. my grandparents, one side of them, decided to pursue new life and building a, a new state in Israel, and the other ones, after surviving the Holocaust, did the same. And that belief that by concerted cooperative action, we can build solutions to problems facing humanity is one that has been with me to today. The reason I struggle with the term entrepreneur is that I do what I do because I believe that there are problems that we can solve when we work together. Mm -hmm. And I don't do it because I think it's the shortest path or, or the easiest path to, to make money, which is what sometimes people yeah. associate with the term entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So you'd consider yourself a social builder instead of, say, just monetary gain. You're really in it for benefit of humanity if, uh, entirely, really. Well, yeah. So I, mean, I like to use the term social. I mean, and I know that in English it's a little different than in Hebrew, but I like to, use, to think internally of the term of social pioneering. That is, 
of seeing the horizon facing humanity. I mean, we are in a moment of extreme change where not only are we speaking right now in the middle of the beginning of a pandemic that's shaking humanity to its foundations, Mm -hmm. but we're also speaking in the beginning of the middle of an ecological collapse that is going to shift all of the assumptions that we've had building our industries and our nation states and our ideas of international commerce. And there's so many other challenges that are awaiting at our door. Mm -hmm. And the question for those of us today that can see that horizon, just like my grandparents saw the clouds gathering, the questions of us, for those of us who can see those clouds gathering for humanity is what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And you can either spend your time working for many of the large organizations that are trapped within the same paradigm that's caused the world to become what it is today or you can seek to build something new. And that's my inspiration is to work, to dedicate myself to that seeking of something new and to work with others in order to enable others to be able to build those solutions for what humanity is is facing today and will face in the decades to come. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about challenges and obstacles. I was wondering for you specifically in your path to build these companies that are helping many, many people. Can you talk about any obstacles, any like specific ones you faced and how you overcame them? Yeah, of course. I mean, so I've had the privilege of being able to, I'm now building my third organization. I founded Present Tense in 2005, which is, became an accelerator network for social entrepreneurs that at its height was operating programs to help individuals who had ideas for new projects and initiatives that solved human problems in 14 cities around the world mm-hmm. and in a number of countries. But we focus on the, on, on the larger cities, including the United States and New York and Chicago, Los Angeles, in, in Moscow, St. Petersburg, and in the, Israel, in the state of Israel and a number of cities in Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, Haifa, and, and Nazareth. And so one of the things that, that we sought to do at Present Tense, and Present Tense continues to operate till today, is to help people understand their role in social pioneering in building these new projects and initiatives, some of them for-profit, some of them non-profit, all of which had a desire to change the world around us for the better. Mm-hmm. And as I did that, I met with an old childhood friend of mine and, and fell in love with his idea, which was a new way to address point-of-care diagnostics in remote and rural areas in the medical space. And that's when I moved up from being the global CEO of Present Tense to the board of Present Tense, and then founded an organization by the name of Mobile ODT, which sought to eliminate cervical cancer by making point-of-care diagnostics available to every person on the planet. And that company we built over the course of eight years had a number of struggles, and we were very fortunate to be able to build out a technology platform that was made itself available. We were able to sell it to people in 42 countries around the world and, and help save thousands and, and thousands of lives, women's lives around the world. You know, little known fact mm-hmm. is that, that cervical cancer is one of the leading causes of death for women in emerging markets, and it's the easiest to treat. So to be able to be part of that was extraordinary. And then as challenges with financing undertook that company, that company continues, mobile as continues to operate, and I'm on its board. What I, what I realized was that the thing that was challenging the most to 
individuals who are seeking to solve challenges in healthcare is that they oftentimes don't know what questions to ask and what structures to build in order to take that technology idea that they have and put it into the hands of healthcare workers who need it. And so Covelocity, which is the firm that I just founded and I'm now you know, a general partner of, enables technology firms and technologists who have ideas for solving problems that are literally costing lives to accelerate that process and to help commercialize that more quickly so that we can ensure that people's lives are saved as quickly as possible. Man, that's good stuff. Switching topics right now. I grew up, whether it was coaches in sports, teachers and professors, or my parents, one trait that they always stressed is integrity for me. Making mm -hmm. sure you do the right thing, whether somebody's watching or not. That's a core value mm -hmm. that I think guides my life. I was wondering what's one core value that you think guides yours? I mean, that's, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head there. I think that integrity is, is absolutely, and I think that integrity most, I would go a little further on integrity, which is not only to act in the same way you would in public and private, but also in Hebrew, there's a saying that's an old rabbinic sage saying where in a place in which there is not a person, be that person. And what that means is that, or how I interpret what that means, is that to be a bystander to a crime is to participate in that crime. And the thing that bears the most integrity, the thing that is, I believe, the most incumbent upon us as individuals who are conscious and caring and understand our surroundings is to act in the benefit of others because we know that that is the action that must be taken. It is the action that is correct to be taken. And I think that one of the mistakes that people make because they feel either too small or too weak or they feel like it's not their place or they feel that stuff happens and the world isn't fair and, and so on and so forth, I feel that many times people are willing to excuse being a bystander to an immoral or amoral action of others uh, that, that harms or hurts or or create a situation where you yourself believe that that, that action was just wrong. And, and I think that, that the integrity of standing up, of being that person where there is no person, that's the, the guiding principle that affects me throughout my life. Now, I read that you've spent time as an adjunct professor at the IDC in Herzliya, <laughs> sharing right. your experiences and advice to those interested in being an entrepreneur and helping socially. What I want to know is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hitting you at the top um, one. The, <laughs> the story, <laughs> there's a story for it. So when I was 12 years old, maybe 13, I, I went on a, a weekend getaway with my father and some of his friends. I would sit in the back seat as him and his friends would drive, and we went uh, to this, this cabin in upstate New York, I think it was, or Vermont. And at the time, as a, I was, uh, and I guess I still am in many ways, but at the time I was a precocious know-it-all and, and, and that they would talk about with one another, I would try to jump into the conversation and, and try to kind of put in my opinion. So they were talking about something. I don't even know, remember what it was. And I jumped in and was like, well, I don't think that's a good idea. Or, or yeah, I know, uh, you know, I know, and you should know better. Some, something which, you know, to, to sound off as if I knew more than I knew. Mm -hmm. And my father's friend... <laughs> <laughs> remember this as if it was yesterday, turned around for the front seat. It was a snowy night. You know, the, it was 
my, my father was driving really slow and afraid that we would skid. And I was kind of holding on tight to the side of the car door and, <laughs> you know, hoping that we were going to get through the, the drive okay. So I was already a little bit on edge, you know, jumping in on this conversation. And my father's friend turned around from the, from the front seat and he looked at me and he goes, if you do not shut up, I will eat you. You don't know shit. You are 12 years old. And I just stopped. I remember it till today because you know, that reminds me again and again and again. I'm 41 now. And that reminds me again and again and again that, yeah, I do not know. I don't. I don't. You know, and that concept of having the humility to recognize that there will always be someone, be it in the room or in the car or whatever, that knows more than you. And if you try to you know, act as if you're the smartest person in the room or you know more than anyone else, and you forget that humility, you know, <laughs> that reminds me every time, every time I'm in a conversation and I'm starting to talk, to talk as if I know better, then uh, that Eric's voice jumps into my head saying, I will eat you, just shut up. <laughs> it's always better to start off listening than uh, talk your mouth, I guess. <laughs> now, I haven't been to Israel yet. As someone who yeah. fell in love with Israel. You gotta come. Uh, I, I'm planning on it someday, someday. As someone who fell in love with Israel and spent years in the idea of serving it, what are some things you want the world to know about Israel? Maybe two or three wonderful things. I think that the first is that Israel is, and I, I hope will continue to be, an incredibly vibrant, socially conscious society with all of its challenges and trials and tribulations you know the state of israel has brought together people from diverse backgrounds who are engaged in a lively democracy in which we have in many ways a melting pot that really defies many of the american or european conceptions of of race and ethnicity and social class and so on despite all of the challenges in israel you know, most people forget, or more correctly, most people were told that Israel was founded by European Jews that were fleeing the Holocaust. And that's just factually incorrect. Mm -hmm. Yes, there were many individuals that lived for generations in Eastern Europe that were constantly persecuted and came here and found freedom in, in a land that didn't have that same level of persecution. But more than half of Israel are individuals uh, from backgrounds across the Middle East where also they faced persecution. And, and the, creating a society from the ashes of, that, of those millennia of persecution has been fraught with challenges, but also allowed for new visions of reality that otherwise people who are more privileged and, and used to a legacy of stability wouldn't be able to create. So Israel is incredibly dynamic uh, in its democracy and social engagement. And I think that's something that, you know, I wish people would be able to see, you know, for its goods and its bad. It's a place that is unequivocally devoted to discourse and to participation. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's a wonderful thing. The second thing is that Israel is in the center of the international cultural shift. Back in the day, meaning two millennia, three millennia ago, maps were literally drawn with Jerusalem at its center. And it is true. The state of Israel and Jerusalem at its center is between the continents. Mm -hmm. And that is more critical than ever. I think that Americans and Europeans have 
even when they start learning about the East or start learning about the African continent, are always learning about it through the lens of European colonialism and its search for raw materials. And when you're here and you're looking at it through the eyes of Jews from Persia or from Ethiopia or the, the partnerships that were created with Chinese companies or Indian partners, all of a sudden you get to see the world through the eyes of a more global consciousness. And I think that that's critical. So Israel is a platform. You know, I can wake up in the morning, I have a call early in the morning with Australia, then I meet with my Indian partners. After that, I have calls with people in Europe, and towards the evening, I'm speaking with you in Los Angeles. Israel's in the middle of the time zones, and that helps tremendously. Yeah. And that level of international consciousness is critical for this coming century. That's the, that's the second thing I wish people would know, which is that if you're interested in understanding the global nature of this coming century, I think that Israel is a place to be able to do that. The third and, and the last one has to do with Israel as a center for innovation. The people of Israel, the Jewish people throughout millennia, because of our outsider status, because of the millennia of discrimination and and bigotry against Jews in all the lands in which they lived and in which we lived, have always had to find ways to hack through social systems to be able to find security and prosperity. And because of that, Israel is a very messy place. And many people who, who like more kind of ordered economies sometimes have difficulty with it. But the flip side of that is that it is incredibly creative. And that's why, in my opinion, you have so many different startup and growth opportunities for growth, both in social ventures and non-social ventures, because Israeli individuals are, are consistently seeking to push the envelope to find ways in order to overcome the odds set against them. And so I think those three things make Israel a extraordinary place for anyone who cares about the future of humanity, who cares about a liberal, democratic, engaged, creative future for humanity. And I hope very much that everyone, including yourself, will come and see it for themselves. Awesome. You should take a part-time job at the tourism industry there. You'd be great at that. Now, uh, these last two questions, uh, I want it to be rapid fire, whatever first comes into your head when I ask them. So sure. here we go. If a college student or a young professional like myself were moving to Israel, what would be your advice to them? Come to Tel Aviv. Why, why do you say that? Tel Aviv is the best city on earth. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Now, the last question I have for you, fun one I like to ask professionals at the end of our shows. If you were a part of a car, any part, steering wheel, brakes, wheels, whatever, what part would you be and why? When I saw that question, when you shared it with me earlier, I immediately thought the engine because that's what I enjoy being. That is, I enjoy driving things forward and so on but that's kind of cheesy. I think that I would enjoy being the floodlight, not the ones that you turn on when you're just driving, you know, regular through town, more mm -hmm. when you're going through the fog. The thing that I seek to help people with and where I think that I able to, to where I enjoy my work uh, with people, with other companies or CEOs or my team is thinking through the challenges and complexities that arise as you're trying to get from here to that future you want to be in. And I think that that, that would be the, <laughs> the, the metaphor, I believe, that would be most fitting to 
what it is that I hope to achieve, which is to give people a opportunity to see beyond what's immediately ahead of them to look for that promised land, that possible future that they aspire to get to. Nice. Showing a path through the obstacles. Perfect stuff. For my answer, it would be, I like to say the cup holders because uh, they're always <laughs> there for you. You can put your change, yeah. your drinks, whatever. So that's about it. I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been great stuff. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's been great. This has been Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups, Israel Edition podcast series. I've been your host, Jonathan Hoffman. And until next time, thanks for listening.